Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another week of Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed. Today, I get to chat with author, radio personality, motivational speaker, and spiritual life coach, Miss Barbara Archer. Her radio show, From Insanity to Sane, helps women overcome their many struggles in life and helps women discover their purpose and provides the essential tools needed to make the transition from instability to stability. I'm so glad she's made time to sit down and talk with me today, and I'm happy to have her on the show. Barbara, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you, Lana. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I've been excited ever since we last spoke. I know, I know. I, I do love your enthusiasm and your energy. It is truly a pleasure. And, you know, we're going to have a good time today. And, um, you know, just reading over all of your stuff, your, your life story is so packed with twists and turns. And as I was trying to get ready for today, I was like, okay, I don't even know where to start. So let's just stab at this and go back to Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland. That's where you were born, correct? Yes. Yes, I was. Okay. And, you know, most of us like to think that it's so ideal to grow up in a two-parent household with mom and dad there. But growing up in Maryland, um, your dad posed some sort of complications to the whole family structure, if I'm reading right, correct? Yes, he did. Okay. Can you kind of elaborate on that for us? Sure. Um, my father, um, he... I believe he was upset because he had three girls, and I believe he wanted a boy. But my father, he was an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. and he cheated on my mother so many times. And it's amazing that even as young children, that you may not know all of the dynamics, but you just sense that something is not right in a particular situation. And every time when he would go out behind my mother's back, he would always take me with him. It was like I was Mm -hmm. his... You know, I was like his alibi, you know, mm-hmm. that I was out with, with Barbara. So he didn't realize what he did is that he introduced me to the spirit of infidelity. Mm-hmm. And I learned from my father because as a child, when you see your father or your mother do things, you think it's okay. So yeah. all of his women friends, all of his ladies, they was always so kind to me. And they always gave me gifts. You know, mm. and then afterwards, my father would take me shopping and buy me an outfit. So I learned that, you know what, when you do these kind of things, that there are perks mm-hmm. that you can get from that. That's what he introduced me to, and he was very abusive towards my mother as well, you know, emotionally. And then towards the end, he became very physical, abusive with her. I remember this one particular incident. My mom didn't have a whole lot of friends, but it was this one girlfriend of hers named Rose that lived like five minutes from our house. And mom would go over her house from time to time. And this one particular Friday evening, she went over there to talk to Rose. And when she came back, uh, my father was in the bathroom shaving. Mm-hmm. And we were, and all of us children were in the bedroom, in the bed. And I heard my mom's key come through the door. And my father was standing right there. And as she opened the door, he took his fingers and he poked her dead in both of her eyes. Wow. And he stood there, could barely even see. And, you know, so... Us children, we get out of bed and we run into our mom, you know, and then my father, you know, he's fussing and he's swearing and, you know, he just goes back downstairs in the basement. And that was the last physical abuse that he put on my mom. And my mom was like, you know what, I am done with this. So they were some of the things that what he did introduce me to. But when I look back and as I started to write my own book, I started to, as I went through my own transformation, I was able to see that my father, he was a very broken person himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he mm-hmm. didn't know how to be a mother. I mean, he, he didn't know how to be a father. He didn't know how to be a husband, you know, because yeah. he never had that growing up. You know, his father, you know, he was an alcoholic and he left the house. Um, my, my father's mother, which was my grandmother, she was nothing but a lady of the street. And I'll just leave it at that. Gotcha. So you really didn't have no one really to look up to. My mom grew up in a very Christian home with 16 other children, you know, so it was always love in the home, you know. So mm-hmm. they were some of the dynamics that he had introduced me to and not knowing that years later how it was going to play an effect in my life as far as how I viewed men and how I looked at men. 
Gotcha, gotcha. You know, there's a saying that um, goes, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And that is kind of the sense I'm getting from your father. And if, you know, that's the thing, if we don't do our own self-evaluation, do our own homework of, of ourselves and kind of try to fix the stuff that's broken with us, we end up, you know, manifesting that on other people. And, and sometimes that's really the the damage in life that we create these family life cycles that end up not really being broken for generation after generation and you know like you tell your father's story it's something that he experienced with his parents and probably his parents experienced that right. you kind of do what you grow up seeing and um, you don't realize it's unhealthy until you know some of us are strong enough in, and in your cases we'll get into to say wait a minute hold up this is not how I should be living um, right but wow so your mother did eventually at some point in time pick you guys all up and leave was that after the incident where he poked that her in was- the ice? Yes, that was the last physical abuse that he did towards my mom. And my mom left him. It was April the 29th, 1979. That was when she <laughs> left. And she left us. We left that night. Uh, my mother's family came down to Baltimore, and they picked us up, and they had a truck and everything. And I remember the night as we were leaving, my mother and I, we stood at the top of the stairs at the basement. Mm-hmm. And my mother said, you know, Slugger, because that was his nickname, we're leaving. And he says, okay, bye. And he never came up the stairs. He would say goodbye to any of us. And that left me feeling, wow, you know, it's like, okay, what have I done? You Mm -hmm. know, because up up until this point, we were like buddies. Yeah. And we always travel together. And I could not understand, you know, how he could not say goodbye to us. But that was what happened at night, and then I didn't see my father until about two months later. He did come to Frederick, and mm-hmm. he was a manipulator. Um, that was one of his other traits. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned that even as my father, you know, demonstrated it, because when he came to Frederick, prior to him coming to Frederick, he had sent me a letter stating that he was in an automobile accident, and mm-hmm. that he was he was in the hospital paralyzed, you know, from the neck mm-hmm. down, and at this time, I'm just almost 11 years old, so I'm believing him. Mm-hmm. And then about six weeks later, this man comes to Frederick, okay? I mean, walking better than what I did. <laughs> so I watched that, and I'm like, okay, something here is not right, you know? So I, so I learned all these behaviors from my father, all of the dysfunction. But I realized in my own transformation, he had to learn it from someone else, true, you know? True. and. He was just, he was just a very broken person himself. And I know that, you know, like with my sister, you know, after we had left him, my sister started to rebel first and my mother had to take her into counseling. And through counseling, that is when we were able to find out that my father had molested um, my sister, you know, and that left me, I was like, wow, I was like, well, you know what? And then I got to thinking, I says, okay, could something have happened? Could something had happened to me that I wasn't aware of that I had suppressed it, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I spent a lot of time with him. But even True. though I was always out with him, but some things just seemed very distant to me, you know. But as I yeah. started my own transformation, there were some things that came out, um, and I'll speak about that a little bit later on, that I was able to realize, okay, that you know what, there were some things that was done to me as a child myself, you know, and mm-hmm. it set the tone for the remaining of my days. Got you, got you. Yeah. So, you know, just reflecting on where we're at now, you know, and the lessons that you, you've you learned from your father at this point, you've learned how to manipulate, you've learned how to lie, you've learned how to um, cover things up from your mother, you know, and not tell her the whole truth. And and those are very damaging lessons to learn. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not a good foundation to um, set up. But... Now I'm wondering, so you said you saw your father two months after you guys left. Was he continuing to come around um, consistently over the years, or did it kind of taper off? Or It tapered off completely. That was the last time I saw him until I got 19 years old and I got married. Mm. And he came back to Frederick. So for those eight years, we didn't hear a word out of him. We didn't know if he was alive or not. And then he comes to town, you know, and he wants to be a father. And at this time, I'm like, okay, I'm 19, I'm married. I don't need a father. You know, it's like yeah. you got out of paying child support for three children because back yes. in those days they didn't have the system that they have today. You know, gotcha. so each time when my mom would file for a child support, they would try to go down there to try to find him. He would always <laughs> lie to the officers and be like, no one lives here by the name. So he got out of, you know, all those years 
of three children, absolutely no child support, no nothing. So I felt like, okay, I'm married on my own now. You know, mm-hmm. you know? so it's like, why do I need you in my life? Thank and you. You haven't when, been around now. So, right. You haven't yeah. been around, so it's like, why? You know, I'm like, your baby is of legal age, so you have, you know, you gotten <laughs> by without paying child support, so why do I need you? So that was the last time I saw him, and I have not seen my father since then, and that was when I was 19, so that's been like like 20-some years. Wow. Because I'm 47. Do you know if he's still so, alive? Well, I'm going to tell you, um, last summer... I, you know, and I knew it had to have been God to press on my heart to try mm-hmm. to see if I can't find him, and I did. And when I, and when I did locate him, it turned out that he died back here in 2003, oh. and no one ever knew. I had a lot of thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. well, did he die alone? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, what was wrong with him? I knew he was a complete alcoholic, you know, so okay. one could assume that, you know, he died of you know, liver cancer or something like sure, that, you something know, because like he drank so that. much. Yeah, but but still, it was just as a shock, you know, but I was able to put that behind me and deal mm-hmm. with it, and I was like, wow, you know, my heart went out to him because I feel that no one should die by themselves, and mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about him, if he had remarried or anything, you know, so I don't know if, that, if I have other siblings or whatever out here, I just don't know anything at this point, but... He did pass away, you know, um, in 2003. So, yeah, and you did bring yeah. up something that was kind of going to be my next question. Since you say your your dad was pretty popular with the ladies, I was wondering if you knew if you had any brothers and sisters floating around. But you don't know to this day if if no. it was just the three of you guys that he did like that, or or if there are more children out there. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, go ahead, dear. I'm sorry. Okay, but I'm sure that um, the type of man that he was, I'm sure mm-hmm. that um, he has other children out here. Gotcha, you know, gotcha. so yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure okay. of that. Okay, so t- after your father, after the two-month visit from your father, um, did life improve greatly once it was just your mom and, and your siblings? And you, you moved to Frederick, Maryland, right? Yeah, yeah Okay, did, yeah. was life just wonderful and happy-go-lucky at that point? It was at the beginning. Everything was good. You know, it was just my mom and myself and my two other sisters. It was just us three. And, you know, we didn't have a whole lot, but we had Mm -hmm. each other. And at least we didn't have no one fussing and swearing and cussing around the house. You know, so it was just very calm. And then, um, you know, I was at that age, almost about to turn, you know, 14, you know. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I went to a carnival um, September of that year. And it was September of 1981, and I met a young guy there at the carnival, and, you know, he was just so fine, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> we, started, we, we just started talking, we exchanged numbers and everything, and then, you know, I had lost his number, but a couple of days later, my sister was like, well, Barbara, why don't we just look him up in the phone book? So we did, and he was in the phone book, to my surprise, and we started talking, and my mother found out about it, because he was like four years older than me, and my mom was uh-huh. like, Barbara, he's no good. Uh-huh. And, you know, you cannot tell a child at 14 years old that a person is no good, because <laughs> that's only going to make that person even more attractive. Uh-huh. So the more she talked about him and, and forbidding me to see him or talk to him, the more I wanted to be with him. And then um, everything changed that year, uh, 1982. Um, I went to his house that evening um, to see him, like I've always gone to see him. And um, that was the night that he raped me. Mm. And that left me cold. You know, mm-hmm. that night, that night, Barbara died. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and a new, this other person, I don't know who she was, and I do believe that from all of the dysfunction that I had, I manifested all of that, and I created a whole new person. And that mm-hmm. was the person that I lived, and that was the person that I was. And all I remember is that how painful it was. And and then even afterwards, you know, I mean, he was just so cold. He didn't say anything to me. It was like I was looking at a complete stranger. It's like he had morphed into this other person, and I didn't know who this person was. Hmm. And I was so hurt and angry and just, I mean, I, I can't even express every feeling that I felt at that moment, but I felt as though that I had been, someone has stolen something from me, that they have, they have violated me, that they took the, it was like he took my soul, mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. And, no, I mean, um, it does, you know, and you have to think about it. It's kind of like the cherry on top of the cake, because here it is for the last 
13, 14 years, I'm going through this with a very significant man in my life, you know, my father, and he's doing all these damaging things right. to, you know, myself and my family and my mother. And here it is, you know, I'm kind of trying to open myself up again, you know, to a young man and, and explore the possibility of something. And you, you, you present yourself to be a friendly person who might have my best interest in heart. But once again, here's another male figure that lets me down and violates me. So, you know, it's kind of understandable that at that point, you know, everything just cracks and says, you know, inside of me, you know, everything just dies and shut down. So, you know, that's completely, totally understandable what happens at that point in your life. And I want to pause right here and, and kind of pick back up right after the commercial because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens right after this. So stay tuned with me, Barbara. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Today I'm spending time with another fellow radio host of the show from Insanity to Sane, Miss Barbara Archer. And before the break, uh, we were talking about her childhood. Um, and for anybody that would be overwhelming some of the stuff that uh, she's had to go through. And we were at the point. Uh, where you were talking about you'd met a young man and uh, he violated you in the most uh, damaging way. Uh, he raped you. And I'm wondering at this particular time you're going through that, did you tell anybody afterwards? Um, yes. Uh, when I got home that night, I was, I was afraid to tell my mom mm. out of fear of what she may do or say to me. I called my girlfriend, which was a very good friend of mine, Wendy, and I told her what happened, and she said to me, Barbara, you need to tell your mom. And I was like, I know, I says, but, you know, let me just wait and see, you know, because I was so afraid that because of what he did to me, I didn't know if I would be pregnant because I didn't know anything really about sex because my mom, she never talked with us about mm -hmm. sex. You know, so this was your first sexual experience? That was my first ever, you know, and oh, okay. even talking okay. about sex. I remember even when I got my menstrual period, you know, the only thing that my mother told me was, don't go near boys because it's going to hurt. That was my sex talk. Mm. So I didn't know anything. I was completely ignorant. I didn't know mm -hmm. anything about men. I just thought that, you know, that if, that if a woman lays with a man, she's automatically going to get, prep, um, get pre pre pregnant. I didn't know that, you know, that there was a process, you know, mm -hmm. that not all times that that happens. So I was really surprised and really didn't, you know, just very ignorant. My mom just never really opened up and I understand the time that she grew up in. True. You know, they didn't talk about sex all that much. So mm -hmm. because of that, um, I waited, and then about a week later, that's when I got my period on that Saturday, and I was like, okay, thank you, God. So <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I'm done with it. I don't have to tell Mom, you know, I don't have to worry about it. But then what happened on that Sunday, that's when he called my house, and that was August the 1st. And he said to me, he says, I, I want to see you. And I'm like, I don't want to see you. I says, I'm done with you. Please don't call me no more. He said, if you don't come to my house, he says, I'm coming down to your house. Wow. And he says, and I'll tell your mom everything. And I was so afraid of my mom finding out. So I once again told my mother one more lie, went to mm. his house to see him. And when I got up there, he had other plans for me when I got there. Because when, as soon as I walked in, he just attacked me. And he threw me up against the refrigerator. And mm. he kept, and he put his hand around my neck and my, kept pounding me in my face. And he said, I'm going to break your jaw. And I was so afraid. And at that time, his sister had came in with some mm. groceries. And when she came in, you know, she tried to get him off of me. But during the struggle, he had tripped over her ankles and he mm. fell to the floor. Well, at mm -hmm. that time, the only place that was near, because the front door was too far for me to get to, and I was afraid that he would get me on the way going out. So I ran into the bathroom, and I locked the bathroom door, and I'm standing there crying, don't know what mm -hmm. I'm going to do, mm -hmm. thinking, okay, should, if I stay here, if I stay here, he's going to kill me. So I opened up the window. Now, he lived in the projects, so mm -hmm. he lived on the high story. And I looked out of the window, and it was either jump, or stay here and let him kill me. And at that moment, I knew something. I knew I had to make a decision, and I had to make it quick. Mm -hmm. And all I did, I just jumped out the window. And mm -hmm. I'd rather have taken my chance jumping out of a jumping out of a window. To, you know that I may end up dead, 
but I would rather have killed myself jumping out a window than to stand there and allow him to beat me until I do die. So mm. when I jumped out of the window, it was God's angels, and I knew it had to been his angels always with me. Because when I landed, I landed right on my feet. I never mm. stumbled, never tripped, nothing, and I ran all the way home. And that time when I got home, that's when I told my mother. Mm. And, I, and I thought my mother was going to call the police. But my mother didn't. She didn't call the police. Um, she didn't press charges. Mm-hmm. And I, as I went through my recovery, I found out that I was angry at my mother all these years because mm-hmm. I felt as though that you're my mother. You should have protected me. That mm-hmm. even though I, even though I went there, but I'm coming home to you. I'm bruised. I'm all this, but you didn't do anything. I want you to fight for me. I want you right. to defend. Right. Yes. Okay. Right. Understand. Right. Yeah. You want uh-huh. that. And mm-hmm. she never did. So I had to, years later, just last year, I had to forgive my mother um, for not taking up for me like a mother mm-hmm. does, like a mm-hmm. mother should, you know. But I realized that my mother was very broken herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Um, because of that brokenness, she couldn't bring me to a place of healing when she's still broken herself, you know. So I was able to see that um, in my own transformation, you know. So that started my path, and I was determined at that point, no man would ever put their hands on me again. Mm-hmm. No man would ever hurt me. I will get you before you get me. And it was like I became cold, numb, had no feelings, no emotions. You could not get no form of emotion out of me. You know, I was just, I was like a zombie just walking around, just mm-hmm. existing each and every day and just trying to survive, you know, and doing so many things to try to numb my pain, you know, with um, drinking, you know, hanging out, you know, I mean, there were times I would get stone drunk and get behind a wheel of a Mm. car. It was like I wanted to self-destruct myself, and I didn't Mm. care what I had to do, but I hated myself, Mm -hmm. and I thought that I didn't, but through my transformation, I I didn't like myself that much at all. Gotcha. I mean, and it's understandable. It's it's a process, and especially if you don't seek out the pro- proper help to help you yeah. heal after these types of things. You know, you can suffer years and years of of self damage. You know, and and continuously trying to hurt yourself in certain ways, like you said with the drinking. And you know, you do mention when I read your bio that after this, you know, you did begin to do more damaging things in your life. Um, you is is it around this time that you started to commit crimes? Oh yes, yes. That was another thing, but I learned part of that from my father because my father was also a gambler, and he was very good at it. I mean, he never held down a nine-to-five job. He was a hustler, and I learned a lot of hustling from my father. So that was another thing that he introduced me to. And I started hanging out with the wrong people, and at first it was just starting off just going into stores and, you know, just stealing things, and Mm -hmm. then that wasn't enough. And it seems like we're still a void. It took care of that immediate it was like an immediate fix, but then afterwards I was sitting back wanting something else. And mm-hmm. then it led to, you know, uh, we started stealing cars and, mm-hmm. you know, hot wiring cars and taking the parts. Then we started robbing people's homes. You mm-hmm. know, then we started, um, you know, just, you know, started hanging out with some drug dealers. And, mm-hmm. you know, and i never done drugs in my mm-hmm. entire life, and I thank God for that. But I was around with those type of people, you know, and it was so intriguing and so exciting. And, you know, and then before you know it, you know, I, I, you know, those crimes started to come back to me, you know. And when it did, I had 42 counts of felony theft when it came back to me. Wow. Wow. But before the before before we even get to the 42 counts, uh, let me ask you this. How were you the first time you went to jail? The first time I went to jail I went there for 13 days. Okay. And I got out, mm-hmm. and I got out on bail, mm-hmm. and then I still had a court date to go to. So at the court date, I was nine months pregnant with my son, and the judge sentenced me to 30 days. So I had to do 30, 30 days. So I'm thinking, okay. So, you know, I'm thinking, after this, I'm done with this criminal life, not going down this road no more. I was good for about maybe about a year. And after a year, it was like, okay, what next? So instead of me hanging out with those kind of people, you know, I started, I got into this thing about writing bad checks. Mm. 
And I, it got to the point that I that I wrote so many checks, I had to take my show on the road. I couldn't even stay in my own town because <laughs> I had went through every store there was in Frederick. I mean, you name it. If, even if it was a thrift store, I was in there writing a check. And it, then it got to the point I had to go to the next county and to the next county. And it, and it was to the point I was driving like 90 minutes just to, just to find myself a mall. And there were times I was buying stuff that I really didn't even need. Uh, uh, you know, uh, so that was the sick part about it. So that was the sick thing about it. And then uh, um, I then, by the time I had my daughter, I was okay then. Um, I was still writing checks. Mm. And then when my third child came into the world, that's when everything came back on me then. Okay. You was a traveling check writer, huh? I was a traveling check writer. You, <laughs> I mean, I would take my show on the road. <laughs> You know, I have always said, you know, um, the the people that expend the kind of energy doing criminal activities and, and the intelligence that they have, you know, if they put that energy and the creativity into doing something legal, it is no telling what they could possibly do. Like you said, you were spending 90 minutes of your time per day yeah. just to go somewhere to, you know, so it's just always amazing to me, you know, you know, what makes somebody say, okay, I'm going to put my energy here instead of living, you know, my life down a proper path. But we all know, right. you know, there's some, we're going to take another quick commercial break. We'll be right back right after this. Let's return to don't box me in with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. I am with the wonderful Miss Barbara Archer today. She is the host of her own show, From Insanity to Sane. And uh, we were talking about her very peppered uh, life in crime here there. She was traveling from county to county writing checks. You mentioned that you had your first child while you were in jail. Um, what, what, I mean, a lot of us can only fathom that. What is it like becoming a first-time mother and you're behind bars? That was very tough. Um, I believe that was one of the toughest moments of my life because mm -hmm. when I went into labor, you know, it was so degrading. You know, they had, they had shackled me mm. from my waist down. Wow. And it's like, where are you going? You know, but you, you're, you're in jail for writing checks, if I'm understanding, right? So yeah. You're not yeah. like a physical threat to anybody. No, I'm not a physical threat to anyone, you know, um, but that's their protocol. That's for everyone regardless. So I had to go along with the program. And then when I went into labor, when I was delivering my son, um, I had one leg shackled to the bed and I had the guard that was standing right there with me the entire time, you know, and I was like, oh, I don't even believe this. And then when it was time for me to go back to the jail, you know, um, I had to sign a paper so that my sister and my mother could take my son home from the hospital. So I never bonded with my child because, you know, I was only in the hospital for about a day and a half. Mm -hmm. And I had him with me the entire time I was there. But then I remember that morning when I left and I was just, I was trying to raise because my mother was there, you know. But at the same time, it broke my heart that I had to leave my baby and I had to go mm -hmm. back to jail. And I still had almost two weeks left to go off my sentence. Mm. And then when I did get home with him, I was so pleased and so happy. And I'm thinking, okay, life is going to be good now. I finally have someone to love and someone mm -hmm. to love me. And that's what my son has been. You know, my son is the person who taught me how to love. Okay, so he's, he's the beginning of your transformation to come back yeah. here. Um, and children kind of do that for us, most of us. Now, yeah. um, let me you this before this you're doing the the criminal thing had, had you ever at this particular time held a quote-unquote regular job um yes um okay. in my life I've always worked from the time I was 14 my first job was at Ole Mills as a telemarketer okay. I mean I've always worked all my life but it seems like that it just it just seemed easy if I can just get this stuff for free and I can keep my own <laughs> You're used to those gifts you used to get from uh, when you were hanging out with your from dad. From my father, right. There you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah, oh. you know, I was used to gifts. You know, I wasn't used <laughs> to having to spend out money for it. I was used to receiving, so it was hard for me. <laughs> okay, I got you. So after you get home and you're, you're you know, odd with your son, um, you did you do the right and narrow uh, for a while? 
you said your daughter came shortly after that. Was is there how yes. far a distance is there between them? A year or so? Um, they about maybe three and a half years. Three and a half know, years. So, so yeah, yeah. So I would say about three and a half years. You know, but during that time, you know, it's like I was like one year after my son was born that I was all right. When it, when it went past that one year, that's when I went back into my criminal activity, you know. But then by the time my daughter came along, you know, I was still in the criminal activity. I was still mm-hmm. there because one of my um, one of my checks came back, and I had to go to court for it, and I was sentenced. But they allowed me to do weekend jail time, and I was and I was and I was like, okay, I can do this weekend jail time for uh-huh. two weekends in a row. I get to stay home during the week. Come uh-huh. here on Saturday morning, stay there till Sunday night. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I can do that. <laughs> then when I arrived there, I had to pay $50. I'm like, no, you mean I got to pay $50 to come to jail? Uh-huh. So I, was really, I was really surprised by that. And I was like, okay. So I did that. But I think what it was is that there was always, it, it seemed like that when I did get in trouble, I really didn't sit there too long. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that because I didn't sit there long, I didn't learn anything. Got you. You know, got it you. was like a little slap on the wrist. Anyone uh-huh. can do a slap on the wrist and go on by your business, you know. But when yeah. you got to do something real hard time, you know, it can make a difference in your life, I guess, you know. So I just carried on. And then by the time my third daughter came along, you know, that was that was a down. I mean, that was my breaking point at that point. Because at this point, I've done a lot of um, horrible things to a lot of people. But what I did to this child was the unthinkable because... The entire time I was pregnant with this child, I never bonded with this child. I never talked with this child. I never rubbed my stomach or anything. I was cold towards this child. And my goal was, you're just going to have it, and you're going to leave it at the hospital, and you're going to walk out the door. Mm-hmm. And that is what why, I told myself Why the is time. that? Was it you were not happy with the man that you got pregnant by, or you were just not happy? I mean, why this particular child you felt that way? Well, first of all, um, and I'm going to be honest about it, I hated her father, and I figured that I would hate anything that is connected to him. Okay. Okay. So I had a lot of hate towards him, and I had a lot of hate towards this child. I didn't even know this child, but Mm -hmm. I hated it. Mm -hmm. And um, and when I went into labor, but God had another plan. And uh, when I went into labor, you know, he found out. He came out to the hospital, and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to know if it was a girl or boy. I didn't want to know anything. I had her. I, I don't even know the time that I even had her. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't even give that time. My other two children, I can give you the exact time and hour and everything. I didn't know. Um, but whatever time I had her, a couple hours later, I had signed myself out of the hospital, and I came home to my children, Jarvis and Jasmine. They were the two so that I you, loved. Left, you left her at the hospital? Yes, I left her. Mm-hmm. I left her, and I came home. So let me make sure I'm clear. You left her at the hospital with no... Um, plan for if she was going to be cared for or anything you no didn't say plan. okay your father's father's going to come and get her you just walked out the hospital i signed myself and walked out they told me they says well you need to sign a paper stating that if anything happens to you the hospital's not liable i said i'd be more than glad to sign it but i'm leaving out of here right now y'all can't keep me here and i'm leaving they gave and me nobody said oh wait a I'm minute fine. you forgot the baby nobody they just nothing nothing because i really didn't care you know um you know when i when i went in labor his uncle and wife was out at the hospital visiting a church member so they saw i was pregnant they went back and they told him he did come out to the hospital he saw that i was pregnant and everything i made them put him out of the room i delivered this child and when i delivered this child i never saw him no more i never saw anyone no more a couple hours later i checked myself out and i came home to my two children jarvis and jasmine wow so he didn't even know you were pregnant all this time he knew i was pregnant um, he knew I was pregnant. Um, I wanted an abortion. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And he lied to me. He told me that he was going to go half and half with me on it. And we mm-hmm. get there and turned out that he didn't even have his half. So I didn't even have the abortion. So I was really angry towards him because I thought, well, let me just get rid of this child and then I could just go on with life. So mm-hmm. I was angry about him. And then there was other circumstances, gotcha. why, you know, around that as well, you know, but Long story short, I just did not want anything connected to him, and uh, but I hid my pregnancy from everyone. I stopped going to the church where my family and all of us went to church at, so by that way, no one would see me pregnant. So by that way, you know, because I would have a hard time explaining to people, okay, one minute I have a baby, and next minute I don't, and they don't mm-hmm. see this child. So I'm thinking if I just hide away, you know, and no one knows about it, then I'll be okay, you know. So that's pretty much what happened, and that was on a month. And then I went to prison on that Thursday. 
So, I, I was just going to say there's yeah. a certain karma in life. So you walk away from this child. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm done. And you go back to your two children. And a few days later, you're back yeah. in jail again. And you're in a situation yeah. where the two kids that you do go home to, they're about to get taken from you. Yes. Yes. That yes, is such indeed. karma in life. That is God speaking for real. Yes. Yes. At that time, I didn't see it that way. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> afterwards, I was able to see, you know what, I said, God, you got a sense of humor in this. <laughs> because, uh-huh. you know, what are the chances of that actually happening to me, you know? And I was just so beside myself because what happened during that pregnancy, um, you know, I had a court date, which which all of all of the other theft charges were starting just to come back. And I had a court date. I didn't show up for, for court that day. And then what happened was they issued a bench warrant on me. Mm-hmm. So when they issued the bench warrant, and it was so strange because that morning I, um, the police officer came there and um, he had other paperwork for me for this other case in this mm-hmm. other county. But when they leave out of your house or when they leave you, they have to run your soul. So when they ran, so when he ran my social, it was like I knew he was going to come back. And mm-hmm. he knocked on the door. He says, I hate to do this, but I got to take you and there's a warrant. I said, I know. Mm. And he took me. But he was so nice. He was so kind mm-hmm. to me. He was, you know. And um, so anyway, I went to, I went back to prison again. And what happened this time around, they said, no bail, no bond. You're going to sit here. Wow. So that has never happened before. You know, I've always been able to at least make bail. But this time, mm-hmm. no bail, no nothing. And I sat there. And about a day later, that's when um, it was this it was this little pamphlet. And the title of it said, How Do God Deal With Hard Hair? <laughs> that's you all day. Uh-huh. And I started to read that, <laughs> and I was like, Forever, this is a God moment that you have. And I said, it's not by chance that you're here. And I sat there, and then about a few days later, you know, things just started, you know, uh, I called home, and my mom was like, Barbara, Terry can't take care of the kids no more, foster home, foster care is coming on Friday to pick them up, and, mm. you know, I'm, and then at this point, I am beside myself, I'm about to lose my mind, um, they put me on suicide watch because they thought I may harm myself, mm-hmm. I went through so many emotions, and then at this point, I just fell down on my knees, and I says, and I just cried out to God, I says, I am so tired. I says, I feel like I have the world on my shoulders. And I says, I'm tired of this life. I said, I don't want this life no more. I'm done with it. And I prayed that prayer. And 10 after 5 that evening on March 27th, 1997, 10 after 5 that Thursday evening, day before Good Friday, weekend of Easter, Mm. that is when the guard came up and said, Archer, pack your bags, you're going home. Now, I was there on no bond. They let me go on my personal reconnaissance. And then I was like, Oh, my gosh. I was just panicking then because I was like, all right, there's another warrant out there. Mm-hmm. I says, and I've seen girls leave and then come right back upstairs again because they run their social. Another one mm-hmm. pops back, and I was so afraid. But God was so good. He closed the door so that that warrant, he held back the second warrant so I could get through, so I could come home to my children. And I had, you know, I mean, the social worker came the next day. I told her everything. Um, they put my case on a six-month probation period just to see how things were going to go because I told her I had many, many court dates coming up. And altogether, I had like 12 different court dates. But what, my, but what my attorney wanted to do was take all of my court dates and see if we can't move them to circuit court, which is a higher court, so we can plead down some of my charges. But at the same mm-hmm. time of pleading them down, he wanted to see if he can't get some of those charges removed. So I was like, okay, let's just move it forward and have one court date. And that court date came around that following year in May, and I went to court. I was the very last person, and I was like, okay, this ain't good. Because a lot of times you sit mm-hmm. long enough, you can see how the judge is going to go with things. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was like that day, it was like a few people would go to jail, some people get released. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, but I'm not, not going to worry about that. I said, God, I know that you have this. So I stood there when they called my name, and I talked with the judge, and the judge said, I want to speak with your attorney and the state's attorney in my office. And I'm looking at my mom. What is going on here? We don't know what is going on. And about 20 so minutes later, he comes back and he says, Archer, I want you to stand for your sentencing. Mm -hmm. And I stood and he says, I'm going to sentence you to three years, but I'm going to suspend all three years. I'm going to put you on one year supervised probation, last two unsupervised probation, 33 hours community service, no restitution. You are one 
blessed lady. (laughs) Do you know that? You are one blessed woman. Yes, Um, I know. Barbara, we're going to take our last break, and after we come back, we're going to pick up with that, but that is just amazing right there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today I am spending time with Ms. Archer. She is the host of the radio show From Insanity to Sane. And uh, I am still sitting here in awe with how blessed that she has been, even in spite of her own self. <laughs> um, so you... You just get the ultimate gift. I mean, you get the ultimate gift, and and the judge sent, gives you the sentence that he gives you, and you do what then? You make changes in your life, or do you continue? Oh, yeah. Okay. No, okay. it was a complete, complete transformation. Um, you know, at that point, um, I started going to a church. I started mm-hmm. getting very plugged into church. Um, I went to a seminary school um, so I could get my license as a chaplain. Mm-hmm. Um, of God, at that point, he spoke to me and he says, you're going back into the prison. And I'm like, I don't want to go, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, I'm still having nightmares at that place. You know, he was like, mm-hmm. no, I called you. So I went to school and I did um, prison ministry for seven and a half years, which I loved it so much. Um, there were times that the ladies, when they get released, they needed a place to stay. I bring them in my home. I, mm. I took care of them uh, because that's when the real ministry starts. Anyone can go in and teach. But are you going to be there once they get released? That's where the mm-hmm. real work begins. So I did that. Very active in church, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, a complete turnaround. You know, never desired, you know, never desired a drink, never desired um, cigarettes, never desired, you know, a crazy life. You know, just devoted to the Lord and to my children. You know, mm-hmm. and then um, it stayed like that for all these years, you know, I mean, when I gave my heart to the Lord, it was in 1997, it's 2014, and I'm still walking strong with Him. Amen, amen. And somewhere along this way, um, you found uh, a husband, I think, that uh, was one of the better ones for you, right? One of your better marriages, correct? Yes, yes. Oh. Well, um, during that time when I got saved, and um, I, met a, I met a man in my church, and we got married, um, and turns out that he was a very abusive person. Mm-hmm. So that abuse is sort of like took me back to a place of that, okay, you know what, no one is going to hurt me again. Mm-hmm. So I'm still walking with the Lord, and I'm still being faithful, but my past has a way of, of coming back and haunting me. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't deal with that brokenness, mm-hmm. it, will, it will come back. It may, it, it, it may stay, because it is dormant, it, that, that is in you, and you, have to, and you have to deal with it, and you have to process it. So I went through many things during that marriage and, um, you know, different, I mean, I had to deal with the church as well because um, a lot of times at the church they have a problem. And sometimes they say that we, that we want your testimony and we want to see what God has done in your life and has done in your life, but sometimes even the church can take your testimony and they can judge you based upon your past. True, true. And I experienced that at my own church, and I felt violated all over again, and that was a dark point in my life, and I remember the night that I tried to commit suicide because of of Mm. the abuse that my husband did, and then the church, it felt like as though they had abused me, that they violated me again. So it was like two violations on top, and Mm. that night I just simply did not want to live anymore. You know, I I was done, and I was like... I fought the good fight, but I'm done. I have nothing more to give. And that night, I tried to commit suicide, but um, I'm still here. Mm, the accuracy. Um, Thank you. Yes, yes, it did not work. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, and I got my divorce, and I said, okay, it's just going to be me and my children. And then I met my third husband uh, back in 2005, and he was very good to me. He was a very good husband. I just did not appreciate his goodness. Because, mm-hmm. first of all, I never experienced um, having a real healthy relationship, you know, mm-hmm. so I really didn't know how to accept everything that he had to offer me. So we got divorced last year, but we're still friends today. In fact, we're closer now than what we've ever been. Okay, okay. Um, curiosity, have you made any amends with your third child? 
Well, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I reached out to, uh, um, her name is Aaliyah. I reached mm-hmm. out to her. Um, my daughter found her on Facebook back here in 2011. And okay. I tried to make contact with her. Um, she accepted my friend request on Facebook. Um, and then every time I would see her on Facebook and I would send her a message, she would always log right right off. Like she didn't want anything to say to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember the night I felt so hurt and I cried and the Lord spoke to me. He says, why are you crying? Wipe those tears. Mm-hmm. He said, this is what you did. Mm. Now you, mm. now you see her pain all these years. True. So I had to put on some big panty drawers. There you I go. Said, put okay, your big girl just, panties right, on. Right, right, right. Let's just stop this up. This is what you did. So last year, um, we started talking a little bit. And okay. this year, in February of this year, I was planning on moving back to Maryland so okay. that I could be closer to her and have a relationship with her. Okay, I like that. Okay. Uh-huh. So that was my plan. But like I say, we have our plans and God's plans prevail. Yeah. The day of my move, there it was on Facebook. And someone had, put, someone had sent this to my daughter on Facebook, and my daughter showed me. It says, even though it sounds like a good idea, it may not have your name on it. Hmm. Sometimes God protects us, and he closes doors. True. And I sat back, and I meditated on that, and I said, we're not going to move back. Mm-hmm. And, my, and, my, and my daughter was like, what? I said, no. I said, there's something God wants to do, and I have to stay here for it. Mm-hmm. So I unpacked. We stayed here in Atlanta. And to my surprise, about three days later, that's when the Lord spoke to me about the time that you write this book. Okay. And I started to write the book because God knows that if I had to went back, I would have been so busy trying to get things right with her and doing everything else. I would have never written this book. I would not be living my purpose today. Okay. You know, but God, he did a transformation. So I had to stay here for that transformation. Okay. And you mentioned you have a a book that you, you worked on. When is it coming out and what's the title? Yes, the book is called Tell All from Insanity to Fame. God gave me that title last year. He woke me up one night and gave me the name for the book. Mm-hmm. And it comes out November the 24th. Um, I have it, um, you can purchase it on my website, and you can also purchase the book on Create Space and Amazon Kindle. You know, okay. um, the book is Tell All, and when I mean Tell All, <laughs> it is Tell All. I, I didn't hold back nothing. There were some things I tried to hold back, and God spoke to me says, everything and I'm like if I tell everything I'm not gonna have no friends I'm not no one's gonna want to be around me once I tell everything you know God says everything so everything is in there I don't care what it is no woman should be ashamed of whatever what they've done because guess what I've already done it and it's in the book there you go and and as far as you know you're not gonna have any friends God says okay you got me who else you need right 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 and that's what he says don't worry he said I'll send you new ones and I'm like okay you know so 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 I am okay, and I'm glad that I didn't go back to Frederick, because if I had gone back in this book, I mean, you know, the book is, I mean, there's a lot of things, and I mean, I'm so grateful that my children know my entire life, because mm-hmm. I would not want them to have read, you know, I would want them to read my life in the book, but they know my entire life from beginning to end. I've never held anything back from my children, and God has truly blessed me with two wonderful children, and I am still believe in God that one day... I'm going to have that relationship with my daughter, Aaliyah. I'm still believing God for that. I know he's going to do it for me, but it's in his timing and not my timing. There you go. Who knows? You know, she might want to come and spend some time in Atlanta and because and, yes. uh, that's where you're at now. So, you know, yes. um, like I said, we still got we still got time and opportunity. And yes, uh, real quick before we get out of here, you have your own show. I'm actually talking to a fellow radio host. You have your own show from Insanity to Sane. How long have you been at that? Well, I'm gonna tell you something. God birthed that in me May of this year. Okay. And so yeah, so it's so it so it's still fairly new, you know, but it's growing, and I have lots of listeners and followers, and um, I'm excited. And then I started a second platform um, on radio, which that airs tonight at 6:30. That is shot from Australia because I'm networking with a lot of women in Australia. And one of the ladies that I was networking with was like, Barbara, you know what? We need to bring something out here to Australia about what we're actually doing. So we've been working on that, so we got that done. And the show is called Real Woman, Real Talk. And that's when we just really, we put aside, and I'm not saying this in a defensive way, but a lot of times as Christian women, we feel that we're not supposed to have certain feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's so much, you know, and it's like, you know, let's 
can we just be real for a moment? You know, let's just put all of this to the side. Let's just talk real talk. So it's for the mature women. So I say, if you're not mature, don't tune in. This is not for you. It's for 40 and above. (laughs) There you go. There you go. You know, and there's so, you know, as Christian women, you know, a lot of times you kind of tiptoe about, you know, what is proper to do, what is proper to talk about, because, you know, I'm kind of bound by this whole thing. And, you know, and that could kind of get you stuck in in life in certain ways. So, you know, it's beautiful that you guys have come together and put together that project. I think that'll be phenomenal. I think it's also kind of cute that, you know, you've went from being the woman who used to go from county to county, you know, writing bad checks to now you're like international doing things. So, I mean, I think it's like full circle. It's like completely awesome. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, but that's part of the transformation. You know, I mean, when, when God took me through my transformation, you know, he showed me that my pain was in my soul, that my soul needed to be restored. And I, re- I mean, I wrote like 15 letters. I even wrote a letter to the man that raped me. Mm. You know, I don't know where he's at. I don't know. I don't know if he's still in Frederick or not, but I wrote that note because I wanted to get some things off my chest, how I felt, you know, what he robbed me of all those years, you know, and all of the problems that what I had, you know, but then God had to show me my part in it as well. And we like to blame other people, but when are we going to take the responsibility and say, okay, yeah, you know what? Number one, I was disobedient. My mother told me not to see this person and I continue to see this person. Mm -hmm. So so that's what God told me. He said, you was in a place you should not have been. Your mother told you and you you still went there. You know, Mm -hmm. even when he wanted to beat you, guess what? Let him... I should, and when I think back, I'm like, I should just let him come down to the house because knowing my mom, she would have laid them out, cussed them out, and that would have been the end of it. You know what I'm saying? There you go. There you, you know, go. But, right. But that's what I had to learn. So I had to take my responsibility in what happened to me as well, you know, and that's what I want to give to women. You know, it's like, yes, a lot of things happen to us that is not our fault, but did we have any part? in that place. True, true. And you know, a lot of times we just really don't want to take a look at ourselves and, you know, right. like you said, understand, you know, what we what we contribute to the problem and, right. and how our life is partly at our own doing. So, you right. know, like I said, yeah. it's just wonderful to see that you have come full circle and, and done your healing and you're at this place. And not only that, but you're helping others get to this place. Because sometimes, you know, you, you kind of flounder around because you don't have anybody to help you. So it's just nice to know when women can give back to women because sometimes women, we can be our own worst enemy so it's just beautiful Barbara we are at the end of the hour I have had such a wonderful time talking to you today Um, my guest has been Miss Barbara Archer please visit her website from insanity to sing Barbara thank you thank you again for sharing your story with me I mean it's just so wow 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 so I I know the audience will get something from it I wish you uh, so many more blessings and so much more success thank you again for hanging out with me thank you Well, that's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week.